Welcome to As the Garden Grows, a podcast about a small cannabis company and our journey in growing wellness. Hello, everyone. So, I wanted to talk to you guys about licensing. This is probably going to be kind of like the biggest thing that I chat to you about regularly and kind of on my own um, because I'm the one, you know, doing most of the licensing for the garden right now, working on the licensing for the garden right now. And it is a really in-depth process. Um, it's it's not, you know, just a quick little 24-hour thing like with with most, you know, with most businesses, right? With most businesses, if I wanted to start a, a business in America, it really takes about like 72 hours, honestly, in, in actuality. It's it's not a huge process. You know, you go online, you file for your, your business type online with the state and maybe with the federal government, and then, you know, you apply for a bank account and a couple other things, and it's generally a pretty simple, easy-peasy process. And, you know, just, you know, there's a couple of longer processes, but they're still not um, quite like what it is, you know, to open up any type of cannabis business. Like right now, if I wanted to open a gun shop, if I wanted to uh, open a bar, if I wanted to start a religion, all of those things would probably be easier than me, um, you know, starting this cannabis business. And let me just say too, like I I think that anybody who's an entrepreneur, I have a, a really deep love and, and affinity and respect and admiration actually for all entrepreneurs. And I'm not saying that because I'm an entrepreneur, because let me just explain to y'all. I am an entrepreneur by force. I was someone who, I was nine to five all the way. Okay, I thought that was going to be my whole life. I always saw and envisioned myself as a leader, but I really felt like I would be leading other people's, you know, companies, organizations, whatever, executing other people's visions. And I was working to just keep climbing. That was that was my thing. Anybody who knows me knows, you know, I was an executive director and then I got fired. And it wasn't until I got fired that I was like, oh, this actually isn't really working for me, this whole work for other people thing. It's really not comfortable and it's not cool and I'm going to try something new now. But I became an entrepreneur by force. You know, there's other people who wake up every day or just with it. They like, they just, that's it. They're like, nope, I got it. I know what I'm doing. I'm out here and that's it. You know, and I, I think that's so dope. It's It takes a lot of energy and a lot of spirit to to start your own business, no matter what it is. I will say that. But most people start a business and and do the entrepreneur thing. They go their own way because they want to do their own thing. You know, they have a vision that they want to execute and they don't want to deal with a million people. They want to be the chef. They they don't want to have a million cooks in their kitchen. They want to be running the show. They don't want to ask everybody for permission or things like that. You know, that's generally uh, an entrepreneurial attitude. However, if you want to be an entrepreneur in the cannabis industry, you could really throw that all away because that's just not how it works in this industry. In this industry, no matter what, you still got to ask like 500 people for permission just to, you know, own and operate your one little business. And that's why far and wide we see really rich white men owning the cannabis industry because they also own the systems that you know, created these processes that we have to deal with. Um, But licensing, cannabis licensing, I just, I want to walk you guys through it a little bit and tell you a little bit what it's like um, so that you guys can just kind of know what I've been going through for the last couple months. And actually, to be honest with you, in different ways in the last several years, and I'll talk about that throughout the 
throughout this podcast series at different times, but just to give you guys a, a you know update in real time on what I've been going through in the last month. But first, let me just explain to you what the what the license process licensing process is like, um, because like I said, it's really like no other. You know, so the first thing you got to do if you want to have a cannabis business, and I'm speaking most specifically to Massachusetts, but this is pretty this is pretty standard um, across the board. You know, in, in legal states, adult legal states. So. First things first, you got to find a space that you're going to have this cannabis business at. You know, th- now it's, that's not just so easy. It's not just like open the paper, see what's available type thing. That space has to be zoned for cannabis use. So just know that, you know, going into it, most places, the way that they've zoned for cannabis is pretty much to keep cannabis businesses out. That's done intentionally. And I've heard those words spoken to me specifically before by elected officials. Like, this is why this was done. So period. This is, you know, how this system works. They, they don't really want the businesses, especially the officials who are putting these zoning maps together and things. They don't really want cannabis businesses in their communities necessarily. So they zone them in a way where it's not like, you know, necessarily conducive to great business or what you would think of as like great business conditions. So you have to find a space that is zoned for cannabis use. Um, and then you have to, you know, get that space. Either you have to buy it. So, you know, that is already just a certain class of people, right? Because, you know, I don't have money to buy real estate. I don't really know many people who have money like that, especially in Massachusetts. Massachusetts is not a cheap place when you think about real estate. So for most people, you know, people in my situation, um, young entrepreneurs, we are looking to rent spaces. So this is the first hurdle that you have to pass through. First of all, you have to find a cannabis-friendly landlord. So, you know, again, not the easiest task, but say you do find a cannabis-friendly landlord. Well, the landlords are in a great position to exploit cannabis businesses because they know that the business can't move forward without, you know, proof of, like, the space and that they have permission to use this space. So what the landlords will do, and again, keep in mind, the licensing process generally takes several months, and they still have to have the space secured the whole time. So they might be paying rent on that space the whole time. And then most times, the landlords, because it's a cannabis business, they are going to hike up the rent to a higher price. They want you to pay the rent you know, while you're um, waiting for the license, and then they might double your rent when the licensing actually goes through. And then at the end of the year, they want a percentage of your profits. So this is not a joke. This You can look this up. This happens all the time. Um, and this is what, what the landlords do to people. So right off, right off the bat, you basically got to cut out some of your money that you're going to be making to your landlord. You know, because you got rent, which is going to be high as hell. It's, it's going to be above market. And then you got, you know, whatever percentage that this landlord is looking for, for a kickback. So, and these kickbacks are legal. I forget the, uh, you know, term in real estate terms, but this is a, a normal process that happens. There's a, there's a legal um, term for it, and I'll try to find it at some point. So next, after you get permission from the landlord, all right, and you might be paying rent, but guess what? Next, you got to go to the community. So you might be paying rent on this spot and you don't even really know if you have full permission because the community could still say no. Now, not only do you have to host a public community meeting to tell everyone in the community about what you're doing and invite in any, you know, naysayers or whatever people to come and, you know, protest what you're doing. Also, people could come in and support. But again, you know the deal. So you got to invite the community in for a community meeting to let them know about your operations where you have to give them all the details that they demand pretty much. And then you also have to get permission 
permission from elected officials because you have to have official documentation signed off on to submit with your application called the community host agreement and it's usually signed by an elected official in the community or someone that's been designated by that community to sign that document which can only happen after you host the community meetings so you've got to get permission from the community permission from the elected officials and you know Again, any other um, issues, elected officials might require you to have police at your space, at your business um, at certain times or whatever, depending on what kind of business you're trying to open. You know, if you're trying to open a retail location versus a cultivation facility versus a product manufacturing. So then you might have to get the police involved. It's, you know, they, they will definitely um, try and get as many people involved as possible. You got to go to all different types of committees within um you know city hall wherever you are the the community governing board wherever you are because you got to go to like i said planning board committees zoning committees all types of uh committees that you have to just make sure that this is going to be okay with you in this cannabis business and then next you you got to go to a lawyer you got to get a lawyer because first of all the law is written in legalese so you need a lawyer to explain some of the laws to you because um, and I'll get into this later, but when you're writing your standards of procedures, you have to be making sure you're adhering to the laws. You also are going to have a lot of legal documents that you have to submit with your application because, again, unlike any business that I know of in America, there is a crazy amount of documentation required for a cannabis business to exist. And a lot of the documents are legal documents that you're going to need prepared by a lawyer or a legal professional. And so, you know, you, you most likely have to hire a lawyer. I mean, you do. You have to have a lawyer. I'm just telling you right now. You need a lawyer. So, and ho hopefully, hopefully, this is a cannabis lawyer um, because, you know, this is a new industry. So not everybody is, um, you know, well-versed in cannabis law. And hopefully, also, they're a creative lawyer because there's a lot of crazy things going on in this industry right now that you really got to think about and, um, you know, make sure that you are uh, aware of as you're getting into this business. And I haven't even gotten into like the taxes and how much money like they, they take away in taxes. I didn't even mention, by the way, with the community agreement, not only do you have to create a community agreement, most likely you have to also give the community a kickback. It's between one and 3% of your um, net profits. This is required by the state, by the way. Um, you have to like basically strike up a deal with the community. And this is, you know, a lot of businesses do big businesses when they go into places. Like when I worked in Northeastern, we had an elaborate community engagement package or community benefits package. But again, that was Northeastern University. Um, and it was like taking over three neighborhoods. I'm talking about a small business, but you got to give a kickback to the community. Uh, so that's again, another one to 3%. So remember you've given a kickback to the landlord. Now you get your kickback to the community all within legal, legal limits. This is all legal. Uh, and then your lawyers, you got all your lawyers, you know, make sure you got your team. You're going to need a tax lawyer because there's all type of taxes going on. There's a 280E, um, and the, the drug dealer taxes, they call it there. You're going to definitely need, um, just like I said, some type of lawyer who's well-versed in cannabis or somewhat versed in cannabis. You know, it's hard to find someone who's really good. Um, then you're going to need like a ton of documentation from the state too on your business. You're going to need like all your certificates of good standing and just any other documentation. You're going to need your organization bylaws, your articles of organization, everything that you had to put together when you were like registering your business. The state also needs to see that as well. 
also you're going to need a positive impact like partner or some type of program that you create um, also that's going to have a community engagement aspect. This is separate from the community impact plan that you had to do with you know your community when you got permission from them. You also have to have a positive impact plan. So you have to go out and get another community partner and you have to make some type of agreement with them that you're going to you know either work with them creating some type of program, maybe you're going to donate money, something like that. So that could be another you know percentage of your profits or it could be no matter what it's money because you got to contribute to this you know what I mean time is valuable but please no community partner is just gonna be like yeah just give us your time um, especially with a cannabis business and this has to be documented in the application by the way this isn't just something you can say like oh yeah I spoke to my friend over at this organization we're gonna work together it's like nope you got to get a letter all that so you got to get um, you know your positive impact partner then after that you got to find a bank because guess what not all banks fuck with cannabis companies because cannabis is still not a federally legal uh, business so it's going to be you basically have to find a community bank and you're going to have to go in and say hey I have a cannabis business you know there are a couple that I know of in Massachusetts that are um, like working with cannabis businesses so there are a couple that you can go into but banks hold the discretion to say no like they can always just say nah sorry we're not gonna we're not gonna help you out on this one we're not gonna open an account with you so you have to find um a bank and this is also important for a host of reasons i mean you gotta you gotta be able to get money right but, you know, for like tax purposes and just the commission in general, I'll speak a little bit more on it later. You also have to get insurance. That's another thing. You have to find someone who, you know, an insurance company that's going to insure your business. Um, and you have to show proof that they're going to insure your business as well for your application. And then after you've gotten, you know, permission from all these people, and there's probably some other people that I'm forgetting, you now have to like go through the commission. So the application is extremely long okay that's just like the only way that I can describe it but you have to tell the commission like everything about you like every single thing about you your business how much of the business you own you have to submit for a quarry check you have to submit all your taxes like your you know all that they have to check in all your taxes you have to submit your business plan all your all your visions your future plans um how much money you have in the bank you have to show the commission how much money you have in the bank they have to see that you have the money that you say you need to make this business happen and they they want to see it so you got to show them you got to have some escrow documentation for de-escalation you have to um describe every single standard of procedure for your business that the commission requires about, there's at least 20 of them at least 20 standards of procedures that you have to write out for your business and they all have to be this is where the law stuff comes in they all have to be in congruence with the law so you have to go in and read the actual law 935 cmr or whatever um you have to go in and read that law and all the different sections of the law and make sure that in your application you state clearly and specifically that you are going to adhere to every single one of those laws so that is you know all that you do all that you got to tell them you know when you're going to operate and all of that then you submit your application they do a background check you have to go in and get fingerprinted after you go in and get fingerprinted they will i believe they will grant you a provisional um, license like to let you start to get set up and that kind of thing then they have to come in and do an inspection you might have to have other inspections too because if you're having food and all that and that's the other thing too remember with the um, government 
you know, agencies. You might have to have permission from the health department and um, you might even have to have permission from the public health department in certain situations. So it's, you know, you have to have those inspections done as well. And then after you have all your inspections done, then you will be granted your license. But anybody who's of the economic empowerment, you know, program, we have priority status. Everybody else doesn't have priority status. So if you don't have that status and you have to go and wait in the queue, I want to say there's like, last time I checked, there were like over 150 applications in the, in the application queue. So, you know, who knows how long it could take for your application to even get viewed. And then again, imagine how much rent you're paying and all that stuff. So that is just um, licensing, just a, a quick kind of review of, of what it takes to get licensed in the cannabis industry in Massachusetts. All right, this is an update about licensing, where I'm at in the licensing process, where the garden is at in the licensing process, but also an overview of what we've done as far as licensing goes since licensing became an option in Massachusetts because um, I have been doing this business since before licensing was an option in Massachusetts and um, and I've definitely been in some way shape or form somewhat active in the licensing mostly uh, throughout the last three, three and a half years. There have been times where I've not been, and I'll get into that a little bit, but um, basically licensing came out in 2018. came out in 2018. Uh, legalization happened at the end of 2015, recreational legalization. We were allowed to grow plants in our houses, um, all of that. That happened at the end of 2015, I believe. Pretty confident. But that's the date, December 2015, that, that all uh, legalized and went through in Massachusetts and pretty much started growing cannabis at that time. Uh, really, my brother started growing it, to be honest, in, in our house, and I learned from him. But we were growing cannabis in our home, you know, as, pretty much as soon as we could. And then the business, the garden, started in June 2017. And at that time, the Cannabis Control Commission was really just forming. It was kind of getting its bearings and starting to put together the the licensing. I don't even know if 935 CMR was fully published. I don't know if I say it right when I say it, but that law, the cannabis law, um, they call it the marijuana law, but marijuana regulations, which is a little disrespectful, but that's okay. You know, uh, that's just white supremacy at its best. Um but yeah, so the cannabis regulations, they, the, in the commission, they were getting it all together, uh, through 20, probably through, you know, 2016, 2017. And, um, they were supposed to come out with the licensing in October of 2017 and they didn't, they pushed it back to the next year. But of course, at the time I was working out of my house. And so ideally I wanted to really just get licensed out of my home. And I actually hosted a couple, um, community meetings which, which was really challenging, by the way. So let me just explain something. And I, I, I talked about this when I talked about how to get licensed, but you have to have a community host agreement. And I remember when I was trying to host my community meetings, uh, one of the like stipulations of your uh, community host agreement is that you have to host these community meetings and they have to be like 
publish. Like they have to be advertised publicly um, in a paper. And I'm pretty sure it says that in the law. Like you have to advertise this in a local newspaper or like through some local news source. And I could not get in touch with any local news source. No local news source would contact me to advertise my community meeting. So I just had to advertise them throughout my community. And I did, and I ha- I hosted one, and my neighbors came, and I explained to them, you know, what I was doing, because at this time, I had already been doing what I was doing for almost a year, and most of my neighbors really didn't know what was going on. Um, I think maybe, like, maybe my direct next-door neighbors kind of had an idea, because they could see in my backyard, and I think, you know, people could hear the music when I had been doing the outdoor stuff, but by this time, I was doing stuff indoors, and they didn't really know, so they, they came in, and I had a meeting with them, and I talked to them about potentially trying to zone my house as a business like I would have to rezone in order to you know get my business going and a lot of my neighbors um opposed it some of them were supportive you know some of these people I've known my whole life or or since I was four years old on my whole life but I've known most of my life and some of them I I don't really know at all and you know it's funny because some of the people that I didn't really know at all were more supportive than people that I had known since I was a child but so it's such as the world and that's all good um yeah and so i had a meeting with my neighbors and um you know i was i was actually i did an article in npr at the time and spoke a little bit about my journey at that time and then like maybe a week later a week after i had that community meeting the mayor of boston marty walsh um who really needs to go uh he said that no he would never grant any cannabis business in a residential area a license it it would absolutely not happen and i had spoken with a couple people in the city and they had basically told me as much like they were like absolutely not marty walsh is never going to allow this to happen so you might as well just give up on that so that was like you know the first couple months of my licensing journey and it was frustrating it was disappointing You know, I've worked um, in Boston, in the city, like pretty much since I was 16 years old. I've had various jobs. So I know I know a lot of people, you know, it's not like I only know a couple of people, but those people were telling me like, Nasus, like you're not going to get this. So, all right, cool. I decided, you know, I'm going to move on. But I didn't really know at the time what that meant, like what I meant by I'm going to move on, you know, looking for real estate. That just wasn't realistic for me at that time. It certainly... um, it barely is now, so it definitely wasn't for me a couple of years ago. Um, and you know, the business at the time too, it was barely really making money. It was successful, but the thing is, if anybody remembers when the business first started, the way that I was really not charging for classes, I was practically paying y'all to come to my classes. So, um, you know, at the time, it just it wasn't like this thing where I was like making so much money. You know, people think you're working with cannabis, you must be like some big drug dealer. It's not that. But anyways, uh, I digress. So getting back to where I was in, in 2018 when I heard that, you know, I basically would not be able to get uh, licensed because I was in a residential area. And then I started to get these phone calls after that. <clears throat> I would get these calls from people. They would tell me like, oh, I'm an investor or I have a cannabis company in this you know, country or this place. People that I, I didn't know, I, I didn't really know how they had heard of me except like, you know, they could have seen me in that NPR article. They could have gone on the commission's website and seen that I had economic empowerment status. Either way, they knew that I had some type of priority status. And they would say things to me like, 
oh, you know, because the way the law is written, you will maintain 51% ownership of your company, but you can only keep 10% of the profit. Anyway, so people would call me, they would, they would try, they, you know, they would pitch me on things. They would say they were going to help me or say they were going to invest, but it always ended up being some type of sneaky, um, fucked up feeling, uh, situation. So I never pushed forward on any of those things. And I just kind of like, you know, I stayed pretty low key for, for a while, I would say throughout 2018, I was pretty, um, low key and I was just kind of doing my thing, pushing along. We were trying new things at the garden. We did, you know, all different types of events. I did a training program that year and, and studied fascia stretch therapy. Um, so, you know, I was kind of like expanding the practice a little bit and, and that was really my vision was like, let me build this business a little bit more. Let me know, let me find out exactly what I'm here to do. And then I'll, I'll look back on this licensing thing. So I was that, you know, back half of 2018 is the time that I was most inactive. And then 2019, um, you know, it's hard for me to put 2019 into words for a lot of reasons, actually some legal reasons. Um, and some just cause it was a situation that I'm still very much so integrating into my experience. Um, I just ended up getting really caught up with some unfortunate people who, you know, people will come into this game, like I said, and they, it, it's easy, I think, for people to know what to say to, to folks like me, because I'm a, I'm a black woman in this game. You know, obviously I'm an eco, I'm an economic empowerment priority applicant. So I, I obviously have some understanding of where I want to go and that I want to be in this business. And I obviously had enough resolve to get myself together to put that application in, which, you know, I think like only a hundred or so people did. Uh, but I obviously don't have the resources to move forward, especially with the business that I want to build, you know, everything that I do. And I know that, you know, my, my people who have come through know this. It's like, I, I like a, I like a nice thing. I like to put together something that feels real good. And that's not like always like the cheapest thing. That's not always free or easy to put together. And that's, but it's important to me. It's really, really important to me to create high quality premium type experiences for everyone that um, touches the garden. And so you know, I think that people, you know, can prey on on individuals like me who have great ideas, but not necessarily all the resources to make them come to life or or, or so we think or so we think. And so that happened to me. You know, I was kind of sold a dream. Someone really told me that they were um, going to a pay me <laughs> uh, really, really well to help them execute their vision in cannabis. And by doing that, like really sold me this dream of how I would then be able to execute my own vision. And it seemed really legit. And, it, and what I also really liked about it was that it was cloaked in like, uh, you know, equity. That's how it was being messaged to me and framed to me. Like this is an opportunity for uh, generational wealth to be built for people of color. But the, the trick was that it wasn't a person of color who was presenting this to me. And I think that's really important in this game is that it's really, 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 really hard for white people to come in and understand the equity that is necessary in the cannabis industry. And it's always going to be that way because of white privilege. You know, it's easy for them to talk the talk, but you have 
have to be able to see that they are walking the walk to know that they mean what they say. It's, it's just, it doesn't always line up. And the thing that happens and what happened to me is that I honestly got blinded by money or the, or the idea of money. Cause it wasn't real money. It wasn't in my hand by any means. And don't worry, because it happens to me again in this story. But, um, you know, I got blinded by this, op- you know, possibility of money. And I was willing to, like, degrade and betray myself. And, like, put my ideas on the back burner, sell my vision and my ideas to someone else in a way that they were going to then, you know, mangle. Um, and so <laughs> that that situation happened. And, for so many reasons, I'm glad it did. And, and I still thank th- those people that I was involved with still to this day, whether they know it or not. I really, I actually have so much gratitude because not only did I learn so much, like it was a crash course in just business in general and cannabis industry business, but I dodged a major bullet and I got to preserve myself and my soul through it all. I got to keep, you know, the garden alive and well as she was. And I didn't have to make any crazy changes to her. I didn't have to um, hurt her in any way. And that was really what it came down to in the end was that I was going to have to hurt my business and I didn't want to. And my spirit didn't want to actually because Kijana, basic ass bitch that she sometimes is, was willing and ready to let it go. But my spirit was not having it. My spirit stepped in and my spirit was like, nah, honey, we're not about that. We got bigger shit to do in this lifetime. You can't be playing these dumb games. So my spirit got me out of that one. Um, and I ended up backing out of a really ugly situation with, like I said, just some really ugly people. Um, and... Uh, moved forward and in the way that I decided to move forward at this time at that time that that all happened I was I was a little hurt you know I was a little traumatized and I was like I need to chill because like lawyers got involved y'all like it was it was just a situation that I'm not used to I'm not used to having stuff like that happen in my life you know and I felt very much so like I was being um, I mean I was being used for sure but it was, it was above my head, the way in which it was happening. Like I was, I just wasn't allowing myself to be aware of what was happening. But when I did allow myself to be aware, when I did allow myself to see it for exactly what it was, just that someone was just using me. That's it. It's like, people aren't always as good as they say. People will use you and then they will toss you to the side. And that was exactly what was happening. I was able to step in and save myself. And I'm so grateful um, that, you know, everything worked out the way that it did. I, I ended up, yeah, getting everything that I was supposed to get out of that situation. So, um, again, I went a little inactive for a couple months. I was like, you know what? I need to just chill. I need to get back to me. Let me remind myself, remember what my vision is and what, you know, I came here to do and get back to the garden. And I did. And that was when Ryan came on board, um, which was amazing. You know, Ryan obviously has been such an incredible addition to this team. And I'm not just saying that because he's the one editing this podcast. But, um, you know, I know y'all know and felt how the the vibe at the garden really stepped up after that point. And, you know, shit just started to look better and to feel better. And I remember in January of 2020, um, that's where we're at now, uh, January 2020, I said to my friend Michaela, who you guys will all meet if you haven't already in real life, but uh, I said to Michaela, I said, I need to get licensed within the next 18 to 24 months. That's what I said to her in in January 2020. And she looked at me and she said, bitch, (laughs) you need to get licensed a lot sooner than 18 to 24 months. 
And I was like, what? Really? I don't have, I don't have any money to get licensed though. It's like, I need like a million dollars and I don't have it. And she was like, figure it out. Like we will figure it out. She's, she's my business strategy advisor. And she was like, we need to figure it out. Like period. It's just, it has to happen, but you have to get licensed sooner than 18 to 24 months because you're buzzing right now and you need to grow and you can't just keep staying in your mom's basement, which is, you know, true. Um, and so she said that to me and it definitely, um, lit a little fire under my ass for sure. Um, it, 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 it made me a little nervous actually, to be honest with you. Like it was like, Oh, this person who I really trust and really love and I, and I know would never tell me um, something that wasn't true was like telling me I needed to do something. That's just a different vibe for me in the last couple of years. People don't really tell me what I need to do, you know, um, but I listen, especially if they're the people that I love. So that was pre-pandemic. I just want to point that out because pre-pandemic, we were living a different life also. I was primarily a yoga instructor, a Ganji yoga instructor. That's what I felt the business was also primarily doing and was the focus of the business. And actually another thing that I wanted to talk about too, well, I didn't really want to talk about this, but I'm going to bring it up real quick was that I don't know if anybody remembers this, but in January, 2020, I was talking to one of my homegirls about planning a tour about taking, uh, the Rose Garden and some of like our dope musician friends on a like little East coast, maybe hit Toronto type tour and doing classes, meeting new people, because my vision at that time was like, people need to know about the garden. And I just can't get the word out there fast enough because I'm just in Boston in my backyard. But I have to grow beyond this because maybe my opportunity is elsewhere because the the licensing process in Massachusetts is just so expensive. I really was starting to think like, maybe I'm not meant to be licensed in Massachusetts. I don't know. You know, I just following some energy elsewhere. And so I had been, I had been wanting to do, I still want to do a tour, but I had been wanting to do this tour for a long time, you know, ever since the garden even started. Cause I love to travel. I love to see new places and I wanted to, you know, do this tour with my homegirls. I thought it would be so much fun. And so that's what I was talking about in January, 2020. That's what I was thinking about. And so that was another reason why when Michaela said, you need to get licensed a lot sooner than 18 to 24 months, it kind of rocked my world a little bit because it was like, more what I heard was you need to sit the fuck down and sit tight. I don't know what you're talking about going on tour. You're not Beyonce, bitch. <laughs> That's what I heard. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it really rocked me because I was like, oh, you want me to stay here and sit down and get this right. And I just, I didn't want to do that at that time. Um, and then the pandemic hit. And like leading up to uh, quarantine, by the way, I had been in Jamaica. <laughs> a girl was in Jamaica in February. Um, I took a couple weeks off and I had went to Jamaica and that was a whole situation because I was trying to get, um, my land all situated there, but that's a story for another day. Uh, and then I came back and we were planning for like spring and summer schedules and the weather was beautiful. If you guys remember like early March, it felt like we might be outside in a couple weeks. The weather was gorgeous. Mid-March, the last like big class that I had was Goddess Day, March 8th. Bunch of goddesses came through. And then by the next week, it was like we were shut down. Totally quarantined. Like that, within those six days, 
it went from like, oh, have you heard of this like virus that's going around? Like it was like just things, something that we were just kind of like it was in the air, but it was like it wasn't. And then it was like pe- it was just like people were dropping like flies. So and we were shut down. We were in a full blown pandemic um, quarantine couldn't leave our houses, couldn't have classes. I switched to a virtual model and the big shift was edibles. I started doing deliveries and the whole game changed guys. Like shit just changed. I mean, after we started doing deliveries, it was like our, I mean, I know Ryan and I, for those first two months, we were like mind blown. It was crazy. We were making more money with the edibles, almost double what we were making off yoga. Maybe I mean, and that was just within the first two months. The revenue steadily went up thereafter. And the numbers that we were seeing were insane. Like, like I said, you know, plus 50%, plus 100% one month, um, like 40%. The lowest that we had, it went up every month. It's gone up. Our revenue percentage has gone up every month since the pandemic hit. And the lowest one, there was one month where it only went up 1%. But that was just from the last month. You know what I mean? So um, it was... It was crazy. It was a total shift. And that's energetically, that's a big, that's a big uh, sign for someone like me when I'm going along and I'm feeling like I don't have the money to do this. I'm not making enough. I need to go out and put my stuff out there. I need to meet people. I need to travel the country and get my face out there so the right person will see me in the right space at the right time. You know, that's how I was thinking really was just like, "Ah, it's just going to be a matter of coincidence before I make this shit legit. And then the edible stuff happened and the, you know, with the pandemic, we started doing the deliveries and it just, it really blew up. But, you know, I started doing the takeouts, the food, and that got big. Um, And it was, it was amazing. It was, it was a lot of loving energy. Like I said, just coming through, swirling around us. And we, we realized like, okay, we have something here and we need to just pivot. We need to just pivot accordingly. And we did in a really big way. And um, we worked really hard uh, right away. And I, and I bet and I really hope that you guys felt that. Um, but we did. We worked really hard right away within those first couple months to like figure this new business model out because our entire business model changed. Our entire website changed. Everything we were doing changed. It all changed what we were doing. And um, Ryan and I, we spent a lot of days and nights, lots of conversations with a lot of different customers. Um, and we have like slowly, you know, built up this this service. And we started the subscription stuff, the bloom boxes, and that was a big hit. Um, shout out to my coach, Aya, who helped us with the name. But yeah, we that was uh, we started that on my birthday, May, and another huge hit like who knew that y'all that y'all just needed this subscription box in your life I I mean I I guess I knew it in my heart but and actually to be honest with you it's so crazy because I I had looked back at some point um in 2020 at stuff Michaela and I put together in 2018 and we had subscription services on there we had stuff like this on there so we knew we knew even back then that this is where this was going but for whatever reason, it just took for this pandemic to like get this, you know, this fire under our asses and get us into this edible delivery service, the takeout service and all that doing really just like focusing on the food. And it hit, you know, y'all love it. And the boxes, the subscription boxes hit. And so as that kind of moved forward, um, I decided that I wanted to go out to LA. 
And actually, I was supposed to go out to LA and, and be out in LA all of April. And I had a couple things lined up that I was going to be doing out there. But of course, everything fell through with the pandemic. But, you know, my heart, like I said, it's out there. I love LA. And um, I wanted to get out there. And I was like, we should try to bring the edibles out to LA. Like, vegan edibles delivery? That's so LA. Are you kidding me? If anything, this should hit harder out there because they're way more um, trained in just cannabis business in general in terms of, like, consumerism, cannabis consumerism in general. They're, they're better cannabis consumers uh, in, you know, California than Massachusetts because they're well-trained. They've been doing it for a long time. In Massachusetts, we're very much so still kind of training the market. So in that, in that way, I was like, all right, let's get this out to LA. You know, Ryan's out there. I got Moj out there and, um, let's make it happen. So we tried it (laughs) and we, by no measure, I would say what succeeded, um, not with the, not with the pop-up in June, not at all. Uh, we got pretty much one order. It was a nice big order, um, but it was not big enough to make anybody feel good, let alone me. Um, we did get a lot of work done that trip. We got a lot of work done. And the biggest thing that came out of that trip was that, uh, someone who was a supporter, we have a rule. So our rule on the show is that when shit's bad, I'm not going to name names for two reasons. One, because I don't like to give people that type of airtime. But two, because I'm really not trying to even cause that type of energy or drama. It's not even like a scared thing. It's like, if you piss me off in a way and I need to call you out, I'll call you out. But if you do something and it's like some weird situation, it's fucked up. Or, you know, it made me sign a paper that said I wouldn't talk about it. Then I'm not going to talk about it. Um, Or I'm not going to say your name. But So I'm not going to name any names, but we did leave L.A. I did leave L.A., um with a potential new member of my team and later that turned into a potential uh real estate investment in Los Angeles or on the West Coast and we uh pivoted a little bit and we started looking at licensing on the West Coast and it wasn't so foreign to me to look at licensing on the West Coast because like I had said earlier you know I had always been thinking maybe I'm not meant to get licensed in Massachusetts it's really expensive and now it was looking like I had three people on the West Coast that were going to be like interested in working for the garden and it was like all of a sudden this other person had all this you know, money to, to potentially buy real estate and real estate is the big game when it comes to licensing. It's like, you have to have real estate. So we pivoted, we started looking at licensing in LA. Same time we were talking about licensing in Massachusetts, but it didn't seem like it was as, um, necessary to focus on because not only was the energy in LA, but now the money was there too. So we moved forward and, I just want to say this as, you know, real as possible. I, once again, let money guide me, period. I really did, guys, because if I was being realistic and honest with myself in June, in July, in August, when all this opportunity, quote unquote, was being offered, quote unquote, (laughs) I'm petty as fuck today, to me. I would have said, and at times I did say, um, but I, but I didn't push hard enough, but I would have said, "Mm, Massachusetts is where I make money, period. Massachusetts is where my market has been proven. It's where my clients are, period. And so if I'm going to get licensed 
anywhere. I need to get licensed in Massachusetts because that's where I have brand recognition. That's what I would have said. And that's what I would have pushed for. But instead, I allowed the money to guide me towards something that really wasn't there. And all I can say in the end is that I learned a lot and I'm super grateful and there's no hard feelings, there's no bad blood because I learned a lot and I learned a lot not just about, once again, the cannabis industry and licensing and real estate and law and all that, you know, but I learned a lot about myself and a bitch is kind of materialistic. Like I be getting swayed by money. And I let people come in and I sometimes let money rule. And I know that that's part of the conditioning that I've had on me, you know, in in this lifetime and in this society, like money talks, you know, we've heard that before. And, um, you know, and, and that is true in this country. It is true. But you know what it's not true for the garden. It just doesn't work for my business because it's like, yes. I love money and I want to be really successful and I want to have a lot of it and I want to have a really comfortable life and and a really luxurious life because that's what I love. Honestly, that's what I love. But the garden itself, this business, um, it's so pure and it's so it's here to do something bigger than just make money, honestly. But but it does have to make money in order to do all that it wants to do. And we have to make money in our own way and we have to we we, and by we, I mean the people that are really here for the garden are really here to make the garden what it's meant to be in this lifetime. Those people and myself, we need to be the ones who are dictating how and when and where and why things happen within this organization and this business. And so that's what I learned this summer. I learned that I cannot let anything besides the work guide me and guide these business dealings and what we need to do. And I realized that I needed to once again come back to myself, sit back down, realize my own vision again, remember the original idea why I even started doing this in the first place. And that really was to just educate and to share my culture and my understanding of cannabis medicine with people in all the ways that I know how. And so came back to that, realized, okay, Massachusetts is where I'm at. It's absolutely where my business will be built, where this home, this foundation will be built. It's where it already is. And I can't change that. And I certainly can't break it down because it's strong. So refocused on Massachusetts and I just got to come back again to Ryan I love this man, Ryan, so much support and dedication to the business that he's given in these last couple months has empowered me to be able to stand up for the garden in a big way and to realize when shit's just not going right. And to also realize when people really aren't necessarily meant to be on this team or to be a part of this group, this crew, and that's okay. And... In that realization, Ryan actually offered to move back to Massachusetts and to really help me focus on the licensing over here in Massachusetts. And so that's where we've been focused for the last, well, damn, it's already mid-October. So I would say the last eight weeks, we've been pretty much regrouped back in Massachusetts. And I'll make this last part of the update real quick because, damn, I've been talking for a minute. So 
basically in the last couple of weeks, what we have decided is that we were going to obviously get a product manufacturing license because it's the edibles. It's the edibles for everyone. All right. And we know that the edibles are what need to be licensed because that's really the money maker. And if we can make money by selling our edibles to dispensaries wholesale, then we can have money to do all the other things that we want to do. We can have money to do social consumption when the time comes. We'll have money to expand out to the West Coast when the time comes. We'll have money to buy our own real estate when the time comes. And these are the things we need to do, especially, especially if we truly are going to create generational wealth for people of color in this industry, period. People of color need to own and they need to own outright. Okay, and that just is what it is. And it's no shade to the people of color that have taken lots and lots of money from white people. I don't fault you. I see you and I feel you and I get you and I'm so happy for you. But we need to own our own shit. Okay, and so that's why we need to build this business our way. And we realize that we need to make our own money. We need to get licensed with these edibles ASAP because we need to sell them in big ways. I can't keep doing this in my mom's kitchen selling, you know, making a couple hundred bucks a week or a couple thousand dollars a week when I should be reaching. And y'all know it. Everybody in the state of Massachusetts who it consumes cannabis in any way should have access to the Rose Gardens edibles. And that's what we need to make happen. So we want to get licensed by going into a kitchen And we realized that this was really the most um, economically feasible way for us to do this because we cannot buy real estate right now. And I can't take out a loan. This is going to get long for a second. So the loans, I didn't talk about the loans in, um, in the last bit that I did about just like getting licensed. And I meant to talk about it. But then I realized, you know what, let me talk about it now because the loans. So a lot of times people have said this to me all the time. You know, people say things to me all the time where they're like, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do this? Just do this. Honey, do you think I haven't tried everything? Like, I hate when people just tell me, oh, just do this. People are like, why don't you just go take out a loan? Well, the reason why I don't just go take out a loan is because no cannabis business can just get a loan in America. Cannabis is not a federally legal entity, so no bank will really give it a loan. It's hard enough to even get a bank that I can bank in as a business. Like, that's few and far between, and I already talked about that the last time. Let alone for me to take out a loan, they just won't give it to me, and I can't lie to the bank about what the loan's for because then the bank will come after me. So it's not like I can just go take out money where, you know, if I wanted to go start open up a yoga studio and I wanted to go buy a place or rent a place or whatever, yeah, I probably could just go take out a loan. But I can't do that because this is a cannabis business and it is just not that easy. So don't even be thinking, oh, why don't you just go take out a loan, go buy a spot. I can't, can't take out a loan, all right? I have to be able to just buy it. And guess what? I'm not a millionaire. Nobody in my family is a damn millionaire. And you know what? It's weird to get money from friends. And I don't have any friends who are millionaires. To be honest, I really don't. Maybe I do when they're hiding it. Well, probably I do when they're hiding it. Um, But even if I did, to be honest with you, like I said, I don't even want their money. I really don't. I love the idea of like you guys supporting in little ways to just get us along. But we don't need it. I don't think we need oodles of cash to get this business licensed. And you know what? We shouldn't need it. You should not need millions of dollars to start a business in America. You just shouldn't need it. It doesn't make sense. So we can't take a loan out. 
So the most economically feasible way is for us to rent a kitchen space and like a commissary kitchen, you know, a kitchen that we could go in two days a week, make our edibles and get them out into the world. That would be the ideal situation until we make enough money where we could rent a bigger space or potentially buy a bigger space. So I started looking up commissary kitchens in Massachusetts, you know, I started contacting them, reaching out to them, most of them reach back and I would reach out and I would say, hey, you know, I own and operate a vegan edibles, you know, cannabis infused edibles business and I would like to get licensed and work out of your kitchen. Would you be open to having a cannabis business in your kitchen? And they mostly said, no, we would not be open or no, we cannot have it. They wouldn't tell me reasons why they would just say no. Sorry, no. Some of them said sorry. Most of them just said no. Um, One of them, one sweet soul, said, okay. She said, I don't really know what it is. (laughs) She was really sweet. Um, And I explained to her what it was. And she said, okay, well, if this this space was in Woburn. And she said, well, if the town of Woburn says it's okay, then it's okay with us. And I started to go through the town and I contacted some people that I know that are um, like elected officials. I had a friend who was an elected official um, who helped me out by contacting his friends who were elected officials in Woburn. And the, the deal was a deal of a lifetime, all right? This place was offering us a year's lease. When I tell you the rent, y'all are going faint. They were offering the rent at $2,000 for the year. Yes, you heard that right, 2000 for the year. 80 hours of kitchen time a month, we would have to pay for storage. But it was, it was like a godsend, you know? Like I thought the goddesses came down and they were so proud of me that I decided to go my own way. And they said, here girl, this one's for you. You did it, honey. And I thought this was going to all work out. But nope, got another no, because as you know, 555 million people have to say yes in order to start a cannabis business. And this time, the cannabis, the the Woburn City Council was not going to be willing to move forward. And I heard it through the grapevine that the state rep, I don't even know what they do, was going to publicly oppose it, their words, because what, what do those words mean in my life? Nothing. But whatever. So I was like, okay, Woburn. You're out, but also I'm out. Where am I going to go? Can't find another kitchen. I reached out to another kitchen that I found in Roxbury, and they said to me, yeah, okay, we'll look into it, but if you do get it, just so you know, you're looking at $45,000 a month. I said, $45,000 a month? Is it, am I renting out Maggiano's or like the Cheesecake Factory and the Prudential? I don't understand what's happening here. For $45,000 a month. So that's where we're at. That's basically where we're at in the licensing. I know it's not the greatest update because it doesn't feel like we're anywhere. I mean, as far as the application goes, when the time comes to hit submit, you know, if I found a location and I, and I could get a community host agreement signed, I would be ready to submit my application within days. You know, the, the brunt of the work is really done. Um, but, but I need a location and, and that's how it goes. That's how this licensing thing goes. You have to have the location first. Cause you know, that's another thing people say to me all the time. Why don't you just submit for your license and then you can find the location? No, you can't. Why don't you look up something before you suggest it to me? Okay. Um, 
but yeah, so that's, that's kind of how that goes. And that's where that's all at. And, you know, our, our latest idea that we're praying for to come through is that maybe there is an already existing cannabis product manufacturing facility that does not use its facilities 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and would potentially be willing to rent us some space within it. And that's what we're pursuing now. And that's where we're going to keep you posted on. Hopefully we have some good news coming soon to you all but in the meantime just please keep supporting the business and keep just knowing that every single dollar that you spend with us it really is going towards making this business bigger and better and greater and reach more people and just do more things so yeah that's what we got that's our episode for today thank you so much for tuning in please be sure to check back regularly for new episodes check out our website www.iandirosegarden.com for updates and any events happening here at the garden and be sure to follow us on instagram at i and i rose garden that's at symbol i a n d i r o s e g a r d e n talk to you guys soon <laughs>